and welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. In this episode, we're going to be discussing something called Graves' disease, a common cause of hyperthyroidism or an overactive thyroid gland. We'll discuss the causes, how it presents and how it's diagnosed as well as some treatment options in this episode. So Graves' disease is an autoimmune thyroid condition. So essentially your immune system attacks your own thyroid gland. And it increases the activity of the thyroid gland, which leads to hyperthyroidism. The condition is caused by a combination of genetic and environmental factors, with genetics having a greater contribution. Strong risk factors include a family history of autoimmune thyroid disease, being female and smoking. The mechanism underlying Graves' disease involves overstimulation of TSH, which is normally the hormone which stimulates the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone, and this results in excessive production of thyroid hormone. The antibody responsible for this is called the TSH receptor antibody. This mimics TSH action and therefore overstimulates the thyroid gland, leading to excess thyroid hormone production. However, other antibodies can also be involved, such as the antithyroglobulin antibody and antithyroid peroxidase antibody. As well as causing thyroid hormone overproduction, the TSH receptor antibody also increases the size of the thyroid gland, which explains why a goiter, basically a large lump in the neck, is a clinical presentation of Graves' disease. While also doing this, this antibody increases the cell size of thyroid follicular cells, which are the ones that secrete thyroid hormone. And this explains why there is more thyroid hormone essentially being produced. As mentioned before, a goiter presents in Graves' disease, and this is usually a diffuse symmetrical enlargement of the thyroid gland, and it can be seen as a big lump in the centre of your neck. As well as goiter, there are other clinical features that Graves' disease presents as to a doctor. This includes heat intolerance, so being overly sensitive to the heat, sweating, anxiety or irritability, a fast heart rate, you might get heart palpitations where you feel like your heart is racing, weight loss and shaking. Others include um, eye manifestations, skin manifestations and something called acropachy. Eye manifestations are found in around 25% of patients. It involves upper eyelid retraction and something called proptosis, where essentially your eyes protrude outwards, so they kind of stick out of your head. Another manifestation is chemosis, where the conjunctiva or the pink of your eye becomes swollen, and there sometimes is eye muscle involvement. Skin manifestations um, include thickened, pigmented skin and swelling of both legs. Acropaki refers to soft tissue swelling of the fingers and toes. The exact cause of these manifestations are less clear, however the proposed theory states that the TSH receptor antibody targets the TSH receptor expressed in cells called fibroblasts, which are found in skin tissues and eye tissues, and these produce fat cells essentially, leading to all of these above symptoms. presenting to the clinic with all of these symptoms so how does a doctor actually know you have Graves disease? 
The first line investigation includes measuring TSH hormone levels, which would be low, and thyroid hormone levels would be elevated, essentially. And a free T3 to T4 ratio is done. And this distinguishes something called thyroiditis from Graves' disease. So a high free T3 to T4 ratio would suggest Graves' disease over thyroiditis. Further investigation to confirm the diagnosis is testing for the TSH receptor antibody. If these are tested negative, then the doctor should refer you to an endocrinologist for further specialist investigations. This would include a thyroid scan which helps distinguish different causes of hyperthyroidism. It would show a strong uptake in Graves' disease compared with a patchy uptake in a nodular goiter. A specialist thyroid ultrasound scan may also be carried out if nodules or different kind of masses are present on your thyroid gland. And a baseline full blood count and liver function test should be done if antithyroid drugs are to be commenced. Treatment-wise, there are three options for Graves' disease. These include antithyroid drugs, radioactive iodine, or thyroid surgery. They're all used as first-line therapies depending on the patient. So first let's look at the antithyroid drugs. They should only be started on an endocrinology specialist advice and are typically used medium, medium term with the aim of inducing recovery. So the two main drugs are carbamazole and propylthiouracil, with carbamazole being the first drug of choice. The majority of patients gain normal thyroid function after 4-8 to eight weeks of drug treatment, but about 12-18 to 18 months is required for proper treatment. Once normal thyroid function is achieved, there is an option to continue drug treatment on either a titration block regime or block and replace regime. For both strategies, there is around a 50% recovery rate if treatment is continued for a time frame of 6-18 to 18 months. The titration block regime involves regularly adjusting the drug dosage based on free T4 or thyroid hormone measurements. The aim is to prescribe the lowest dose required to maintain the patient's normal thyroid function. The block and replace regime involves administering carbimazole or propylthiouracil until the patient becomes normal thyroid, then replacing the drug with levothyroxine, which is actually a thyroid hormone replacement. The dosage of levothyroxine may need adjusted to maintain thyroid hormone levels in the normal reference range. Another treatment option, as I mentioned, is radioactive iodine, which is used sometimes as the first choice of uh, treatment, or it can be used after failure of antithyroid drugs or surgery. The aim is to destroy thyroid tissue and allow thyroxine replacement therapy to be commenced. The majority of patients become normal thyroid function and then become hypothyroid so they have two less thyroid hormone within six weeks to six months following the end of radioactive iodine treatment this form of therapy cannot be used in pregnant or breastfeeding women women planning to become pregnant in the next four to six months or those with active or severe eye disease as radioiodine has been found to worsen it after treatment with radioiodine, patients must follow special protection measurements such as avoiding close contact with children and pregnant women for around three weeks. Last but not least, we have the option of thyroid surgery followed by thyroxine replacement. 
Surgery may be preferred in the following circumstances. In women planning to become pregnant within six months, symptoms from a large goiter or a large swelling, low uptake of radioiodine and suspected thyroid cancer. Before the operation, patients are prepared with antithyroid drugs to attempt to achieve normal thyroid function, as this decreases the risk of thyroid crisis that may result from surgery. So what does the surgery include? It includes either removing your whole thyroid gland or part of your thyroid gland, but afterwards you need to replace the thyroid hormone with levothyroxine. The effectiveness of each of these treatments is well known, however less is known about the long-term outcomes of each treatment. A recent study published in 2019 looked into the long-term outcome data for the three different treatment types by following up a cohort of around 2,400 patients for eight years after diagnosis. However, only 60% of this cohort were available at follow-up. The recovery rate for those treated with antithyroid drugs was 45.3%, radioactive iodine therapy 81.5% and surgery 96.3%. It was also noted that if antithyroid drug treated patients experienced disease recurrence and underwent another round of drug therapy, the recovery rate was even less. In addition to this, patients initially treated with antithyroid drugs had around a 50% risk of having undergone additional radioactive iodine or surgery by the follow-up appointment. This is clearly not favourable for patients as the additional treatments bring the risk of further side effects or complications. So treatment for Graves has unpredicted long-term outcomes for a number of patients. This episode we looked at Graves disease in quite a bit of detail. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, I hope you've learned a thing or two. If you've already learned about it in the past, then I hope this has been good revision for you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us on our social media to keep up with everything we do, and if you have any requests then absolutely let us know, and as always we're very grateful for the support. Before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Human Ho for contributing to this episode. As always, stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier, signing off. Disclaimer. Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace advice of a doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third year of their medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. For references, please see the episode description. Thank you.